Alright, welcome to Tweetin' Geek number 38, coming to you live from you have no idea where it's coming from because you haven't heard us for seven years. I'm your host, Pat. And I am your other host, Craig. So, uh, yeah, why, why did we take seven years off? Um, I consider it a temporary breather. <laughs> Alright, we're all recharged and ready to go again. Yeah, now that, uh, you know... I think our fans uh, calling for us to return has resulted in our triumphant uh, re-entry into the portable media player market. <laughs> I, I get I get requests every day. No, I don't. Okay. No, we do get emails every now and then saying how uh, they really enjoyed our post from seven, eight, nine years ago, uh, and uh, that they can help us get even more customers. I think those emails might be spam, though. <laughs> uh, we, the the amazing thing is we still get spam on the blog all the time, like daily. Really? Yeah, it never stopped. <laughs> it, it's amazing. All right, so I'm looking at the last time we podcast, which was in February of 2010. So what were we talking about back then? Windows 7 had just come out. Uh, wow. We were oh, talking about the Xbox One coming out sometime. The iPhone was on the 3G. Oh, my goodness. Yes. And uh, so, yeah, we were recapping uh, our predictions that we made in 2009. Yeah. We were predicting that Facebook would jump the shark. <laughs> Which uh, so, so I, think, I personally feel that it has. <laughs> I, I, I think it may have, uh, but it sure is uh, a profitable business that's making money now, uh, which I don't know if I would have predicted that back then. So that's crazy. Yeah, uh, we we predicted that uh, the successor to Xbox 360 would be released, or no, would be announced. That Was, was that the Xbox One, or was there another one after that, that? That was the Xbox One, so I'm not sure when that was announced. I'm, I'm pretty sure we were wrong about that. Yep, uh, iPhone. That's that's so funny. The three G, three GS for iPhones. Well, now so that three G was like the third iPhone. Now we're up to almost to the eighth iPhone. And Goodness. we're still talking about Web two point like it was relevant. Isn't like just Web two just like Web? Exactly. <laughs> and and Web is kind of like that thing you have in case you don't have an app. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I was like, <laughs> we checked out a post about Brightkite versus Twitter, and uh, so Brightkite. Do you remember that was like that Twitter clone, kind of like Foursquare or something? I guess that never took off. <laughs> no, although at the same time, like I still see uh, Twitter clones. Now the whole thing is about decentralizing. Yeah. So all right. So wow. As, as so plus 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 a change. Uh, whatever that's in French. Our, our listeners don't speak French. I decided just now. Oh, okay. change. <laughs> well, I think that so for anyone who is just picking us up now, so the Tweaking Geek is a I don't know what would you call it, a quasi faux technology podcast or people who work in technology that talk about things and are asinine. Yeah, we we pretend we know what we're talking about. It's great. Yes, and sometimes we don't even do that. Sometimes and, we just and say the things. orphan jokes. So the orphan jokes are coming back, everyone. There are, there definitely are orphan jokes. All right, and apologies to any orphans listening. Yes, that's how you uh, know we're we're more mature now. Is we we at least apologize for our orphan jokes. <laughs> we we definitely do. So 
Well, so we so we've we've been gone for seven years. We haven't been gone. We just haven't been doing the podcast for seven years. And uh, so, you know, did you do anything fun, or did you learn anything in those seven years, or is it pretty much is it just like uh, you can't remember anything that just happened? No, Since I, 2010. I sat in my house and played video games for seven straight years without seeing the light of day. Really? Are you a millennial? No, that's, I'm lying about all of that. Uh, no, I mean, it's been been seven years. Uh, I guess a few things have changed for, for both of us, right? I mean, I've, mm-hmm. So I've changed jobs a couple times. Um, and I'm, as a result of that, back to where I was in 2010. So, you know, that's, that's how things work. Uh, you, you got married. I got married. Wow, we're like adults yeah, now. I know. Well, I was thinking also. I, uh, uh, yeah, I, I've got married and bought and sold a house, so I guess that's like adult stuff. But I also, since 2010, changed jobs and changed jobs again, and now I'm back to where I was in 2010. <laughs> well, it, it's a good plan. I approve. Yeah. Oh, well, there you go. So it it was fun. Um, you know, in terms of, you know, I, I just think that. Uh, you know, the things that we were talking about in uh, in 2010 are like you know it's funny how different the you know the world of technology is yet how like eerily the same it is that it, it's very strange looking at it now it is so I think before we get the podcast rolling we should agree to some ground rules and I think okay. the ground rules are we're gonna try not to make this a politics podcast because there's so much political news every day right now that it's almost impossible to avoid it. So it's gonna be like <laughs> the safe haven from political news unless the political news is really funny or technology related. I can go with that. All right, I like that. And um, yes, exactly. So no politics, and so that's good stuff. And I'm going to use that as a segue. So our old segment that we used to open with was the lamest news of the week, which is coming back. I'm sure everyone's very excited about this. Uh, but now I'm going to lie about the politics thing because I think the lamest news this week is in politics. Uh, so I want to talk about the UK election. Uh, so we had Lord, uh. we had Lord Buckethead run for political office. So this has happened three times, and. I can't say with any degree of certainty that Lord Buckethead has even always been the same person. I'm I'm not going to research that because I prefer to think that it's just a title that gets handed around. Uh, but Lord Buckethead is a guy, or I assume a guy, with a bucket on his head. And um, he represents a silly party. So this is actually a Monty Python sketch that took off and became an actual tradition where people frequently run as basically the silly party. Uh, in in British elections, uh, so okay. he so he ran uh, in the election that we just had uh, at the time of recording, just a couple days ago, so two days ago, uh, and he got a record number of votes this time. He, he got approximately two hundred and forty nine votes, so that blows away his previous record of one hundred thirty one. Like votes of just like regular people. Uh, yeah. Or is it like parliament votes, or like just like two hundred forty nine like people in Britain voted for him? I believe this is in a popular election, so yeah. In oh, in Maidenhead it says whatever that is. It sounds uh, salacious though. <laughs> yeah, we we can't discuss that. This is this is not an explicit rated podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that, that's my lame news of the week is that Lord Buckethead did better than ever before and still got a negligible amount of the vote. 
Well, I don't know. Lord Buckethead might be a pretty good uh, alternative to regu- to mainstream politicians in general. But he's been he's been all over the news, including photos. It's amazing. Uh, it's well worth searching. Lord Buckethead. All right. So that was very lame news. <laughs> well, I don't know. That might, maybe it's good news. I'm not sure. Well, I'm just I, I'm glad I could continue the tradition of finding something lame. <laughs> all right. So we, we never talked when we did our lamest news of the week before. So being you know sort of you know think, being a little uh, uh, what do you call it when you think about the good old days uh, reminiscing. Uh, so I'm reminiscing. Was the lamest news of the week? Did we ever decide? Is it news about lame things or lame news about regular things or is it both or I think neither? We left that mysterious. Okay. I think it can be well, either. Just like who's tweak and who's geek. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, and we need a bumper for this, but I, I don't think we're going to have a bumper anytime soon. So A bumper like a, like a, oh, like the little music thing? Yeah, so I mean, unless you want to beatbox for it, I think I think we'll wait a couple weeks and, and, and find something good. Okay. Okay, so on to our main topic. Our main topic. So let's, uh, I think we should talk about what we do. So we're software engineers, right? That's right. And uh, I don't know about you, I, I'm, a, I'm a big Quora fan. Uh, so I get my daily digest of Quora questions that I read, and apparently I care a lot about what it's like to be rich, because I, I'll i never know, and um, <laughs> Lord of the Rings trivia and Game of Thrones trivia and software engineering. It's what always pops up in my feed. Really? Uh, so one thing that I keep seeing pop up in software engineering-related questions, I see two, two main themes that keep showing up. And it's kind of an interesting place to start talking about what what software engineering really is. But I see two questions I feel like are related. And so one type of question is, hey, can't anyone do this? Like, why why is it a specialized field? Um, And the other that I see a lot of, which feels like just a a surlier version of the same question, which is, uh, do programmers make too much money? Uh, why, do, oh, wow. why do programmers get paid too much? Which I can tell you from experience, no, we do not get paid too much money. We we should get paid a, a lot more. <laughs> no, we. Uh, it, it is a field that pays pretty well, given that the work's easy or relatively easy. At least it's not physical backbreaking work. Yeah, you know, I think about that sometimes too. You know, they software developers programmers well so i think here's the distinction to be made you know we talk about our programmers overpaid possibly programmers are overpaid but the the thing is it's like you know that's just like saying you know people who work on cars are you know people who work on cars overpaid well people who work on cars can be people who wash cars they can be people who uh, who changed the oil in your car. They can be people who can fix the engine in your car. They can be people who sell cars. They could be people who design cars. Who, they could be people who build cars. So, you know, like, it, it, to say, like, our programmers are overpaid, you know, we have people who program who you give them, a, you know, a specification and they can write some code. And it might be simple. You know, maybe that's not, you know, a super high-paid job. But then you get you know, it's you're really paying for the different skill levels, and you know you have programmers and developers, software engineers, software architects. So, I mean, I guess that's a uh, a thought there is that you know are are they paid too much? But which segment are we talking about? Yeah, that that's a great place to start. That's so I think a, a way to approach it to say what what is software engineering and what are the disciplines within software engineering. So Very we, good. So we have programmers, which I think you, you kind of described that really well. Programmers are people who can 
be given a task that's well-defined, and they can execute that task and make some code that works. Exactly, and they would make a small bit of code, you know, that fits into a larger, uh, you know, program ecosystem. So, you know, the people aren't going to, you know, Microsoft Excel, for instance, a, like a base programmer is not like creating Microsoft Excel. You know, they're more like writing macros in Microsoft Excel or whatever. Right. They'll, they'll, they'll have small pieces of functionality that can be well-defined that are kind of uh, self-contained, uh, and, and they can do that. Uh, so then I think we, we kind of graduate from programming to engineering, which engineering is more of, I think, figuring out some of these requirements and um, having more of a blank slate. So then you might have more of a task of like, hey, I need a program that lets me manipulate numbers in big quantities. Uh, and so they would start looking at, okay, what technologies are available to use for this and which which are appropriate given uh, what else is going on with the project uh, and start actually architecting and building solutions. And probably a, a, an engineer is more likely to end up generating tasks that actually get farmed out to other engineers and programmers. Yeah, and I think that even with engineers, you there's a continuum there because at the low end of that, you have – you know, an engineer who can do complex things, but in an existing framework, you know, so like imagine someone, you know, who's sort of a, we'll say an intermediate or entry level software engineer, even though they can, they know that, you know, you know, coding or programming is sort of like, you know, just sort of a given, but then you get in and they might say, all right, you're going to work on this enterprise product that we have. We use certain technologies, we do things a certain way, and some of the freedom that you might hope for is not there because we have a whole bunch of stuff that already works. So, you know, but do great things in the confines of, you know, what we have. And then you move along to the, you know, the higher level ones, which you were talking about the, you know, the the designers and architects who say now, uh, all right, now we, we know that, you know, here's the sort of the lay of the land. I have to pick some tools to make this stuff work and to actually build more, uh, you know, I, I have to, a little bit more of a blank slate, but you have to know how things go together. And then you get the very high level ones who they sort of say what the lay of the land is, you know, because imagine something like a, if you're doing uh, development and you say our enterprise, you know, uses, you know, Microsoft Azure for a cloud platform. But then you might have, you know, so your engineers are like, all right, use the tools provided by that. And then you might have something with one step above that. They might come to you and say, you know, if you're like the high level architect, like, we don't know what we want to do, pick a cloud platform. And then you do that. Then the lower level people kind of work within the framework that you decide. Sure, and I think you know I could say there's even probably one higher level of of engineer than that even, and those are the engineers who actually solve problems that have never been solved before, right? An example of that would be you know an architect at a place like Facebook where nobody has ever had a billion users every single day, and a billion users who expect you know the the application to respond in less than a second. Uh, and so they're out there, you know, designing completely new technologies built on what exists, and then uh, architecting applications to use them, and getting that that whole process moving out to a very large development team. Yeah, and a good analogy for that would be real engineering. Uh, you know, like sort of like the mechanical, electrical, chemical engineering field, where you know, basically in in sort of the scientific engineering field like that, you have 
what the, the the ranking or the hierarchies like technician, technologist, engineer, and scientist, where the technicians are kind of like our low-level programmers, technologists are like our low-level software engineers, engineers are high-level engineers, and scientists would be kind of the people solving problems that aren't solved. So maybe we could call rather than saying call them software engineers, we call them software scientists. I like that. I'm, I'm because computer scientists, it is, and computer because computer science is a dumb term. <laughs> So uh, to kind of answer these two these two general questions, right? Am I wrong to think that programmers are overpaid is actually the easy question, which is, sure, some of them probably are. Um, yes. But at the kind of foundational question here of can't anyone learn to do this? And I think the answer is most people could probably learn some of this, uh, but software engineering is it's, it's as much a craft still as it is a science, right? So it's not just a question of learning all the yeah. technical pieces. There's still kind of this, you know, medieval blacksmith who still has to actually make the things and make them good. And there's time involved to learn that, uh, right? I think all the all the rules of, you know, you have to spend 10,000 hours doing something to master it and all of that still apply, right? There's, there's still a yeah. lot that is beyond just reading a couple books. Um, and I think when you get to... Uh, a lot of the bigger systems, right? There's There are a lot of things that are very hard to intuitively grasp about how complicated systems interact with each other. Um, even a simple web application right now, if you think about it, if you're probably running in some high-level language like PHP or Python or something like that, which is running on top of uh, some kind of web server platform, which is running on top of some kind of operating system. And that's you know in the simple, free hobbyist land. Um, you probably have a database behind that, and there's all these separate big pieces of technology interacting with a lot of moving parts. Uh, so I think it's 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 less simple than it looks. There was a, an article that went around with a lot of my engineering friends a few years ago that basically said, I can't believe the internet works, and the longer I'm a software engineer, the less I believe that the internet could possibly work. I, I feel that way about software. I, I think that's a very good point, because someone... I, I, so my my boss at work is actually a non-technical person, but she's like very smart, but she's just not a developer or anything. And so, you know, and I'm very fortunate to have a boss who actually like, you know, just listens to me about the technology and doesn't try to, you know, yeah, so it, it's a good situation. So she was asking me about software and, you know, someone had talked about PHP and like there was just, you know, sort of a discussion about how, you know, because we mostly do Microsoft.net, you know, the people don't really like doing PHP, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and I told her the dirty secret of, uh, of software development is like, if you listen to programmers talk, first thing they're going to talk about is their favorite language and their favorite platform. And I said, really, none of that really matters. It's really more of a mindset. And anybody can, you know, if you are good at it, the tools are just sort of a thing that you do. And you might, you know, and so, and when people, uh, when I interview people and they ask me, what, what programming languages do you use? That's kind of a disqualifier for me because, you know, you really shouldn't be about programming languages. It should be about solving problems and, you know, designing solutions. Yeah, and I think you've, you've kind of hit that at core. That's really what an engineer does these days, especially is, you know, we have all these tools in our tool chest and it's about finding the right tools to solve a problem well and on a fixed budget, whether that's money or time, which is basically money. Uh, either either way, that that's kind of the where it becomes tricky and almost switches into art from a from more of a science and technical field. 
Yeah. Well, you th- think about people who, uh, you know, can, you know, you talk about art versus a craft that, you know, think of people who can, you know, who cook, you know, somebody, you know, if you uh, can like bake bread, you know, you might bake bread and it, like feed you and you like it prevents you from dying of starvation. But, it, you know, but it may not be anything special. Whereas but someone who's really good at it, it becomes, you know, bread does things that not, wouldn't normally you wouldn't normally expect from bread or bread is better than, you know. Whatever, and it doesn't really matter what oven you use or what type of flour you use. You know, you you just you have like the knack or whatever. Yeah, and I think we've done a lot of talking about the the actual like constructing software part of being a developer. Uh, but I, I think a, another misconception is that you spend most of your time doing that uh, because most people don't. Even even at a very junior level, I think you very quickly spend much more of your time understanding technology and talking to mm. people who need things solved and you know figuring out where they do or don't work like yep tracking down a bug report to try to figure out exactly what's being reported or you know getting out ahead of uh, a new piece of software and figuring out where you know what what wasn't said that you need to keep in mind yeah that that's a lot of it where you, you know it, it, yeah sort of knowing what is what you're supposed to be doing thinking about it and you know you know how they say measure twice, cut once. It's you really measure a lot and then cut once because, you know, how how often in your early days or even maybe now where you get the whole thing going and you, you sit down and you're like, I really, you know, people love to code, you know, so they sit down and start coding and then you finally painted yourself into a corner and it's like, oops, let's, you know, let's back out these like, you know, three days of work or five days of work or even worse, you know, six months later, you're like, oh no, we can't collect this information that a you know, that the business needs because of the way we did this, or it's going to take six months to, you know, collect zip code or, you know, or something like that. So, you you know, you sort of have to future-proof what you're doing and think about it and think, like, kind of above, you know, th- or I, I, the way I say it with the people that work for me, as I say, you have to, you can't look at the problem from inside the problem. You have to be able to sort of, like, get, a, you know, get out of the plane of of what you're doing and look down on it holistically. Yeah. Yeah. So what's cool about software engineering, right? I think what some of the things that are good about it are it's, it's actually really fun to start with nothing, right? You start with either some program that just lacks the function you want, or you might even be starting with absolutely nothing and making a system from scratch. Uh, and then you say, Hey, there's a problem X to solve. And at some point later, you're like, Hey, look, I solved problem X. Yeah, uh, I think it's also cool. It, it's I think there's a personality uh, type that can do well in software development too. It's cool if you're someone who likes to follow rules because no frameworks or no careers have as many rules, maybe except for like lawyers or something. But uh, where you can actually you can go in and to a system with no rules, and then you get to create rules to follow. Yeah, the problem is the system follows the rules we create exactly. Exactly. And it, it's not always the rules we meant to tell it. <laughs> that, that's exactly right. Uh, but it, it's cool. It is cool if you like, you know, if you like to create something. And I, I, the one thing I like about it is you get to create something. And, you know, you're, since you're not really creating something in the physical world, you're not like building cabinets or something like that. There's a lot uh, faster feedback, you know, because if you are building cabinets, you know, you don't know if, 
people are going to like them or if it's going to do the job until it's like in the house and people are looking at it and be like, ah, this is ugly. Whereas this, there's a much faster feedback loop where you can say it did not run, it did run, or I can improve that now by just making some, you know, changes to something sort of conceptual like code. Yeah, and I think going back to what we were talking about earlier, what's what's changed in the time we've we've been away from podcasting? Um, I think the development process has changed a lot. Uh, we've gotten a lot smarter about how to build uh, minimum viable product, which is a, a big keyword. Uh, in a lot of fields these days and it's saying you know how do i build the smallest system that really represents what we're trying to make and get it in someone's hands and start finding out if it's right or not yes yeah like an iterative approach so that you know you don't find a bug in the core of your program when you know two days before launch right another thing i think's gotten really big in this time is agile development which which probably any programmer listening to this just spit. Um, and it's, it's one of those concepts that's it's taken over almost every shop I know, and yet nobody's really doing it. Uh, but this was kind of basing your development model on saying, hey, we used to try to design this amazing piece of software up front and then break that down into a work plan and go execute the work plan. And over time, we found out that for most projects, that's just not a really good workflow. Uh, it's not how things really go right you'll you'll have designed the wrong thing and built it perfectly or you'll design something and build it and it takes so long to build that while you're doing it the technology moves out from under you yeah but it's you know that's something that's definitely kind of permeated the culture now is everyone sort of expects plans to go wrong and to have to change them during the course of a project Uh, which which is nice right it's 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 probably that part is probably very realistic yeah, and you know it's it's interesting when you talk about something like agile, which I actually did roll my eyes when you mentioned that because people, it's sort of one of those things where, um, you know, what's our process to build software? You know what I say? All right, so let me before I I tell you what my answer is. What do you think, Pat? What is the best process to build software? Oh, I don't think there is one. I think uh, the process that works is going to. it's going to vary based on the team and the project like for any given project and the people working on it they'll find a way that works and and that's and you actually just mirrored exactly what i was going to say because my my answer was going to be the best process for for designing and developing software is the one that works exactly because it you know it's you know i've i know people who say that agile is like the only way to do things and then what happens is on a limited budget they eat up the entire budget in you know the very first sprint and now they're operating at a loss because they didn't feel like you know sort of doing a little bit of upfront work you know that type of thing so i when people ask me about agile i always say that i i use an agile uh you know so I lead a development team now, so for better or worse. But you know, I say we use uh, a uh, uh, like a modified agile process, which is we take the parts of agile that work for us and don't use the parts that don't. So, which is just basically you could say that about anything. But no, but I I think that reflects a lot of what I've seen on teams um, I've been on. So software engineering, good field. Uh, we need yeah. more. Right, that's the other thing. Is there uh, there is a critical shortage of really skilled engineers. Um, there are there are a lot of people who can do something with a computer, but there's nowhere near enough who are actually really good at it. Yeah, you know, it, it is definitely a competitive market, and I, I look at it 
and I look at job numbers sometimes because I'm just interested in it. And you know, if you say how many software developers are there out there, programmers, you know, there's I think uh, a couple of years ago I looked and there was you know 300,000 people working in the .NET environment. You know, so that's like one of the you know Microsoft's .NET framework or .NET technology. So like in that sort of like part, you know, that subset of the field, there's like you know 250 to 300,000. And I'm like, wow, that's an awful lot. You know, I feel like, you know, should I be worried? But the answer is that because software drives everything that we do, that almost almost universally, then uh, you know, there are. It is so hard to find good help, and it's and it's also when you find good help, it's very hard to keep it. And I'm sure down in the area that you are over on the west coast, it's probably far worse than on the east coast here. Um, it depends on physical location, uh, but generally everyone has trouble filling positions um, chronically. Yeah, and, and you know sometimes the answer is we just can't do what we need to do as a business because we can't find anyone to do it. And, and you know I think it's also funny. Uh, one of the things that is still a problem because you still have some of the old school running businesses. You know people who are you know who started running businesses prior to this like explosion of software is that a lot of people still see uh, software development as a necessary evil. And it's something that, you know, that we do it or we have software developers because, you know, unfortunately we have to do this and, you know, really, you know, coders, whatever, they're just, you know, the idea is the hard part, you know, like these people are just implementation is just a, a detail. And, it's really, you know, just kind of a funny thing because I see that a lot. You know, I work with a lot of different types of businesses, and sometimes, you know, there are people who just think that software is just like this thing that, you know, unfortunately you have to do, and that's, you know, and that sort of like cheapens what, you know, the developers do. And uh, and but what I find sometimes is that software development and you know is the field in which you know we all do it because we love it. And basically the driving force of it is to make us do as little of it as possible. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, if you want to do this, do something that is, you know, cheaper and faster. You know, it's like, because if left to our own devices, we could, you know, do amazing things, but, you know, somebody's got to pay for it. <laughs> it's true. So I think the outlook on the field, right, if someone were asking me, should I go into software engineering, I, I would have an unhesitant yes, if, if, if you think using computers to solve problems sounds like fun, uh, I, I, I really see no reason not to pursue that. Exactly. And people who are – there are dumb people in the field. Don't get me wrong. You know, and, uh, and as long as there continue to be dumb people, uh, you, know, you need even more smart people to, to keep the dumb people under control, to keep, do damage control. <laughs> okay. Uh, on that – Was that, was that too note, cynical? <laughs> I, it was a little cynical. Uh, I feel it's in every field. Yeah, I think that, that that's just people. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe that's it's just – all right. So if we were in software, I would make that statement into a generic and say in the field of T, where T is <laughs> of type <laughs> of career. All right. Okay. That you, was a software engineering joke. Yeah. You, you just went way too far down the nerd path. I think that means – It wasn't have, really a joke. Yeah. No. We, have, we, we have to be done now. That That's it. You've nerded me out. All right. So, all right. That that was fun. So, um, so can orphans program? Uh, orphans can program. It turns out. 
Wow. Okay. There we go. That was all, that we were pretty, pretty much. We could have just had that as our podcast. Ken Orphan's program. <laughs> Ken Orphan's program. Yes. The end. Uh, that's our, that's our deep analysis. So this is where we used to tell people how to get in touch with us. Uh, but all, that's one of the things that has changed, right? We used to have a voicemail number, uh, but who uses their phone anymore? I think it's it's all about electronics. So I think we just have our website tweakinggeek dot com. Uh, we have our email tg at tweakinggeek dot com. Go ahead and send us a mail message. Comment on our on our posts. Uh, send us a voicemail. I think that's common now. Voice memo to email. Oh, can you do that? I think you can. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. My favorite podcasts do it all the time, so there's got to be a way. Yeah, well, in my favorite podcast, I specifically never listen to any sort of listener feedback, and I never contribute, so I don't. So I'm I'm very ignorant of that. <laughs> well, on that very uplifting note. <laughs> I, I think this episode's done. We'll see everyone next time. Well, they'll hear us and we won't see anything. But, you know, we'll say we'll see them. Thank you for that. That was very helpful, Pat. <laughs> All right. Talk to you next time. <laughs> Goodbye.